The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Good morning. All right. So I have to admit, uh, my feet are a little sore, my hips are a little sore, my upper body's a little sore from the family dance night last night. I know I'm not alone. I can see some of you nodding your heads. Um, it was a wonderful time, <laughs> and I'm trusting you enjoyed it just as much as our family did. So there's a couple things before we get started. First, if you're new here, uh, that could be in the past year, past week, past couple months. It's all relative, but if you're new here, we have a class going on right now at 11 o'clock for the next three weeks in the Creekside building. So uh, no one will notice if you get up and head that way. I encourage you to be there for our newcomers class. It's called Introductions. It's at 11 o'clock for the next three Sundays. The second thing is we have a garage sale coming up in April. Not my family. TBC has a garage sale coming up in April, April 8th and 9th. We need people. Uh, it may be a surprise to you, but it shouldn't be. We run this together. So uh, there's a volunteer sign up at the welcome desk right out here. Go sign up, leave your email, and we'll all be on the same page on that moving forward. Uh, please consider being involved in this. Maybe you can't give your time, but you can come by all the things you didn't know you needed. Or you can be a volunteer and really help with this. Um, and so we really ask you to do that. Yep, so that's up at the welcome desk. Uh, make sure you stop by if you can. That's April 8th and 9th is the garage sale. So this morning we're in Ezra 5. And just as a reminder, all of the Old Testament points to Jesus. So as a reminder, all of the Old Testament points to Jesus. Now this may seem like, well, Thanks, Brandon, that's really helpful. This is really hard to remember, at least for me. <laughs> As I'm reading sometimes and I think, this is really difficult to remember. All of the Old Testament points to Jesus. I think my favorite example, though, is Isaiah, where the first half talks about this king that's coming to right the world, and then the second half is talking about the same person saying it's a servant that carries the sins of the world. You think, well, how can this be one person? How can this be the Messiah? And then Jesus comes and you say, oh, I get it. This is it. And so as we read the Old Testament, we look through this Jesus lens, this kingdom. Well, can you still hear me? Great. Uh, this kingdom lens. And so this morning, it's no different. For Ezra 5 and 6, we're going to be talking about Jesus. And so if you will, bookmark Haggai as well. We'll be turning and flipping through there. Zechariah 2, but that's right after Haggai. So um, this morning we're in Ezra 5. So I was sitting with my friend. We had spent most of the day together. This is in the Middle East. And he had a tally counter with him. So if you've seen one of these, it's kind of when you walk into an event and they're counting how many people are coming through. Nod your head if you've seen one of these. Okay, wonderful. So he's counting as we're going throughout the day. And this is toward the end of the day. And 
as I was doing it all day long, I had this thought of how close cultural Christianity is to Islam. And I want to tell you why. My friend's counting the good deeds he had been doing. So at the end of the day, he could try and know if he had enough good deeds to outweigh his evil deeds. My friend was holding his salvation in his hand. And for many of us, that may not be true. For some of us, I know in my own heart, I'm tempted to lean on empty ritual, who my parents told me I should be, um, what I do for a living, <laughs> I work for a church, um, and for that to be my salvation, for that to be my hope. And so just like my Muslim friend, who's a dear friend of mine, I just found myself in that rut. And as we start this morning, We'll pray for us not to fall in that rut. But before we do that, I want to teach you some Gulf Arabic. So, repeat after me. Kuliom. Mob kafi. Kuliom mob kafi. One more time just for fun. Okay, now don't forget that. We'll come back to it. Let's pray for our hearts this morning as we get started. God, we gather this morning. This is our public confession. That we're submitting to your word here together. Um, we're not worthy to know you. We ask that you humble our hearts to see you. In spirit, that you move among us this morning to listen, to arise. And for our heart to say, to whom shall we go? Where else is there? You have the words of eternal life. And may that be the posture of our heart this morning. Amen. So we're in Ezra 5, and I think the context of the scriptures matter. So really quick, I have a quick summary of Ezra 1 through 4. Cyrus decrees the Jews to start rebuilding the temple, and the Spirit begins to stir this in Cyrus, and he issues this out, okay? The foundation and the altar are built of the temple. And then, it's stopped. It's just incomplete. And this is disappointing, this is discouraging, you've been waiting, you've been waiting, and now this temple that God has decreed be built gets shut down. And the confusion maybe that's there, the, well, God, I thought you started this, and who is this guy to say that it stops the frustration? I truly, I truly can't um, imagine But worth reminding ourselves that God is still trustworthy. And just like all of the Old Testament points to Jesus, this is worth remembering. God is trustworthy. And the decrees of man are temporary and the decrees of God are unfailing. 
Just think about this. The decrees of men are temporary and the decrees of God are unfailing. So instead of us counting our good deeds, instead of us looking to what someone else says or what's decreed by the government or how we're being led or something like that, our God is unfailing, his decrees are unfailing, he is trustworthy, and our salvation is in him. In him alone. So what comes after chapter four? All right, still with me. Chapter five. We're gonna read verses one through five. This is Ezra chapter five, starting in verse one. Now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Iddo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheathiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josedek, arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. In verse three, at the same time, Tathanai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shethar Bozani and their associates came to them and spoke to them thus. Who gave you a decree to build this house and to finish this structure? They also asked them this, what are the names of the men who are building this building? But the eye of their God was on the elders of the Jews and they did not stop them until the report should reach Darius and then an answer be returned by letter concerning it. So what could these guys have said that stirs Zerubbabel and Jeshua to say, okay, now it's time. Surely we have to be asking that question. What was said more than just go on get or something? (laughs) They said something of worth and something that was decreed by God. And so it's worth asking again for your small groups, whoever you're with, whoever you're walking through life with, this is a great question to ask and walk through together. What has God decreed of his people? What has God decreed of his people? And this is something you walk in community, answering together, arm in arm, and I'd love to push you toward that. And so we asked this morning, what in the world did these guys say? So in Haggai, if you remember, we've bookmarked this here. In Haggai chapter one, I wish we could just walk through all of Haggai and Zechariah. But in Haggai chapter one, I'm going to read verse one and verse four. And then I'm gonna read Zechariah three. They're a bit paralleled, so stick with me. In Haggai 1, verse 1 and verse 4. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheathiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. In verse 4, this is what he's saying to them. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? 
pretty bold. Is it a time for you yourselves to, to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? So Haggai the prophet, he comes to them and he says, you're living these wives in your nice houses and look at the house of God, how it's lying in ruin. And this is said to Zerubbabel, the governor, governor, and this is what's said in Zechariah 3. This is just verse 3 and 4. So the book after Haggai is Zechariah, the other prophet speaking to Zerubbabel and Joshua. So verse 3, now Joshua is standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. Now Joshua or Joshua is the high priest. This is a big deal. He's standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, this is beautiful, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you and I will clothe you with pure vestments. So in case you're not seeing this, we have a governor, a ruler of Judah, and we have a high priest. And through the ruler and the high priest, God's people are awakened and reminded of who God is. The Old Testament is constantly pointing to Jesus. We have a great king and a great high priest. He has taken on our filth, our iniquity is cleansed through him. And Zerubbabel, if you remember Chase mentioned a couple weeks ago, it's kind of a shameful name. It's, you've come out of Babylon, out of exile. And this is beautiful. Because in Haggai 2, towards the end, it says, On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Sheathil, declares the Lord, and make you a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. And in case you've forgotten, which I tend to do frequently, because of Christ, the outcast is welcome in. The filthy are made clean. And we're awakened to his decrees. So let's keep going. So in Haggai, verse 1, also in uh, chapter 1, excuse me, verse 13. Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you declares the Lord. And in Zechariah 10, he says, my anger is hot against the shepherds and I will punish the leaders for the Lord of hosts cares for his flock, the house of Judah, and will make them like his majestic steed in battle. Verse five of chapter 10, they shall be like mighty men in battle, trampling the foe in the mud of the streets. They shall fight because the Lord is with them. And they shall put to shame, put to shame, the riders on horses. And God's telling his people, God is with you. That's his message. 
Now this is gonna amaze you. I don't even know if you're gonna believe this. We have pictures of Haggai and Zechariah. The men that have come together, they've rallied the people of God, famously known for how they rallied the troops. Haggai and Zechariah this morning. So that's funny, we've seen pictures of this, right? In movies, in stories. But it's beautiful to see that it's true. And what's really important is what was said. So these men have come by God telling the people of Jerusalem that God is with them and it is time to go to work. The Lord mobilizes his people through the high priest and through this governor, Zerubbabel and Joshua. And again, this should kind of alarm us. Our Jesus alarm should be going off. This is a wonderful picture of how God's working in his story. The outcast is brought in. The filthy are made clean. It's just absolutely beautiful. So between chapter 4 and 5, there's about arguably 15 to 20 years. The government shuts down the temple being built. In chapter 5, Israel gets raised up to do something about it. And this usually leads to apathy in this type of season. So just imagine, if you will, hypothetically, you're in this season of apathy. Kind of everyone, you're looking around and you're thinking, what's going on here? Just apathetic, slow. Maybe you're bored. Oh, the God of the universe, really? This is all it is? That governor over there just shut us down. Hypothetically, if you're in a season like that, and then you hear these words from God, I'm with you, you are my people, I have cleansed you, keep working, it's time. Just imagine if those things were said to you by the creator, sustainer, and finisher of the world. In a time of apathy. And so we're not building a temple. And if you're a believer of Jesus, if you're part of the body of Christ, I want you to listen to what our Savior has said to us. I am with you always to the very end of the age. Once you were not a people, but now you are my people. By his wounds you are healed so that through all of these things we can love God and love people and proclaim his excellencies to our neighbor and to the nations. Are we listening to God 
like Zerubbabel and Jeshua were. We're his people and he has plans. We can arise and listen. It's wonderful, wonderful news and it's exciting for us. Um, So that's five verses of our two chapters. (laughs) Let's keep moving. So uh, starting in, uh, again in chapter five, Tathanai questions the new work, and what does he do? He sends a letter to the king. And that's what closes out chapter five here. And again, just as a summary of sorts, of chapter five, I'm gonna read 13, 16, and 17. However, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Babylon, Cyrus the king made a decree that this house of God should be rebuilt. He's giving a summary of what all has happened there. Down to verse 16. Then this Sheshbazar came and laid the foundations of the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And from that time until now, it has been in building and it is not yet finished. Therefore, if it seems good to the king, let search be made in the royal archives there in Babylon to see whether a decree was issued by Cyrus the king for the rebuilding of this house of God in Jerusalem. And let the king send us his pleasure in this matter. So he sends a letter and he's asking, is this actually legitimate? Well, this is what's going on. These people have raised up. They're kind of rallying their people. They're getting to work. Is this legitimate? Is this actually what should be happening? And I don't think we're blind to this, but as soon as we walk out these doors and maybe even in this room, there's this questioning, how legitimate is this? And you have to ask yourself, these people are being questioned and their work continues. And they say, that's wonderful, you check on that. This is what we've been decreed to do and this is what we're doing. And you have to think about this, that when you walk out of this, everything we're saying in here is questioned. Is it true? Is it legitimate? Is this actually what God has decreed? And as a small group, with the people you live your life with that are believers and followers of Jesus, we have to ask, will we be found faithful through the questions? This is not something you can preach. This is how you look faithful. This is what you should do because of this. This is something you walk in community, in relationship, fighting sin together, glorifying Jesus together. And you have to ask, Are we being found faithful? Are our hearts aligned with God and are we listening to him? As a family, we try not to go to, uh, we do sometimes that, we go to the restaurants where there's TVs in every corner. Because what happens is as we're eating, we think family meals are a big deal. And we try to talk through them. We try to shepherd through them. Not always, but we really do. We try. And if we go to one of these restaurants, I think you know what happens. The kids are just like this. Not exaggerating the entire time. 
and you can say whatever you want to them and they won't even turn their eyes from whatever's on the screen. They're there. They're at the table. In fact, we've ordered them. It's just this mindless distraction that's taken them from why they're there. And we have to ask, you're here, great, we're in this room together. Okay, we're looking at this together, we get to sing together. Are our hearts and our minds aligned with God's in worship or are we distracted have to ask ourselves this. So he writes this letter to the king, which moves us into chapter six of Ezra. So this is amazing. Darius finds the decree. So raise your hand if you've seen Lord of the Rings. Read the books maybe, okay. There's this scene where Gandalf rides out on a horse and he goes down these spiral staircases and he's flipping through these archives by candlelight looking for this paragraph that describes what this ring is that Bilbo has found. And I imagine this happening where Darius is just looking through things like what in the world, where is this? But he finds it, it's absolutely amazing. And again, because of time, I'm going to read verses 6, 7, and 11 of chapter 6. This just gives us a quick summary. So chapter 6, verse 6. Now therefore, Tatanai, governor of the province beyond the river, Shathar Bozanai, and your associates and the governors who are in the province beyond the river, keep away. Pretty clear. In verse 7, let the work on this house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild this house of God on its site. In verse 11, in case 6 and 7 were not clear, I make a decree that if anyone alters this edict, a beam shall be pulled out of his house and he shall be impaled on it. And his house shall be made a dunghill. I love clear communication. <laughs> it was really helpful. So I don't know if you guys, I'm sure you'll agree with this. It's absolutely amazing how the governments of the world perfectly represent our perfect God. It's just unreal, it's amazing. That's sarcastic if you're not on board. My goodness, tough crowd, okay. In all seriousness, the inconsistency of rulers, authorities, this is not the test to say, oh, is God trustworthy? We're not allowed to do this. Maybe the, the temple gets shut down, if you will. And we say, man, is God trustworthy? I thought he had some things going on here. Maybe God's not who I thought he was. Our test is not the government. I think that's just worth saying. That our God is trustworthy. Even in chapter four when there's discouragement, 
Even in chapter five, when there's empowerment, God does not change. Let's not forget that. God is trustworthy. So, Keelan and Marin, I see you up here. This past fall, I got to teach uh, an apologetics class at Providence. Um, Love you guys. And every morning we would say, we are who we are because of who he is. We are who we are because of who he is. Our identity, who we are, is not dependent on circumstances, it's not dependent on environments, it's not dependent on your last name, what you do for a living, where you live, or who you know. We are who we are because of who God is. And what's beautiful about that is it does not change. It's unfailing. It's unfailing. It's not environmental. It's not unstable. Worth the reminder. So we keep going in chapter 6. In verse 13, then according to the word sent by Darius the king, Tatanai, the governor of the province beyond the river, Shethar, Bozani, and their associates did with all diligence what Darius the king had ordered. Well, yeah, as you read verse 11, good decision. Verse 14, and the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, the son of Iddo. They finished their building by decree of the God of Israel and by decree of Sirius and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. And this house was finished on the third day of the month of Adar in the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. Now, I don't know if you guys have thought about this much, but the church will be complete. Think about this. The church will be complete. The work of Jesus, the work of his people will be complete. In Revelation 7, it says in, chapter, in verse 9 and 10, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Verse 10, And crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And again, you have to ask yourself, is our work worth celebrating? Because we read in chapter 6 and verse 16, the people of Israel, the priests and the Levites and the rest of the returned exiles celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. They offered at the dedication of this house of God 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 lambs, and as a sin offering for all Israel, 12 male goats according to the number of the tribes of Israel. And they set the priests in their divisions and the Levites in their divisions for the service of God at Jerusalem as it is written in the book of Moses. Are our lives, pursuits, investments, relationships, are they worth celebrating? And more biblically asked, are these things based on Jesus? 
What we're doing, is it based on Jesus? We are who we are because of who he is, and so I pray that it is. The Jews celebrated, they dedicated this work because it was his. It was his. Where people who once did not receive mercy, now we have received mercy. God's people were his. It's wonderful and it's beautiful. The closing of chapter six is with the Passover. And it's amazing because the Jews are giving this Passover meal as a reminder of who God is. beautiful and then we'll read in just a second they go to celebrate the feast of unleavened bread and what that means is they clear their lives their houses everything from leaven symbolizing their need to be cleansed of their sin so through the passover we see who god is through the feast of unleavened bread we see who his people are and they're dependent on each other that because of who God is, we can be cleansed of our sin. And this wonderful celebration of who God is and who we are is how we close chapter 6. So we'll read 19 through 22. On the 14th day of the first month, the returned exiles kept the Passover. For the priests and the Levites had purified themselves together, all of them were clean. So they slaughtered the Passover lamb for all the returned exiles, for their fellow priests and for themselves. It was eaten by the people of Israel who had returned from exile and also by everyone who had joined them and separated himself from the uncleanness of the peoples of the land to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. And they kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy. For the Lord had made them joyful and had turned the heart of the king of Assyria to them so that he aided them in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. And there's many people that believe and there's some historical evidence to point to that the Passover was kind of neglected during the exile. And so in some ways coming back and celebrating this in the new temple is this form of repentance of the Jews this proclamation, if you will, this is who you are, this is who we are. God, we turn from ourselves. That's how I like to read it. Um, in verse 21, there's a clear pointing to holiness. It says, it was eaten by the people of Israel who had returned from exile, and also by everyone who had joined them and separated himself from the uncleanness of the peoples of the land to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. So I'm going to say it again. If you can't tell, I'm pushing us towards small group, toward relationship. In your small groups, in your communities, and the people you live life with, it's worth looking into what holiness looks like in your lives, in your homes, in your families. Holiness matters. We are who we are because of who he is. And let us not forget, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We are people set apart, and it matters what that looks like in our lives. So walk through that in relationship. I would encourage you toward that.
So as we look at these rituals, we look at these traditions, if you will, these feasts, we're reminded that, I'm reminded, how tempting it is to look at ourselves, to look at these empty rituals for salvation, for hope, for identity. And I love that it seems like here their celebration of joy is a heart repentance, a heart worship. They've remembered who they are because they remembered who God is. It sounds like a call for us this morning. The Jews at the end of chapter six, they celebrated, they remembered, they worshiped, they were stirred to joy. Does anybody remember the Arabic that we learned just minutes ago? Excellent, Katie. She wrote it down. Kulyom Mob Kafi. Say it with me. Kulyom Mob Kafi. So at the end of the day, we're sitting in this courtyard. You can actually see my eldest daughter running through the courtyard, maybe. Anyway, we're sitting there, we're talking, and he's holding the tally counter in his hand, and he leans over and he kind of smiles at me. And what do you think he said to me? Kuliom mob kafi. Every day, not enough. The Jews we read about in Ezra 6, they listened to God, they obeyed God, they had the discipline of remembering, and it led them to worship. Our proclamation this morning is God's people is of Jesus. This is who he is, and because of that, this is who we are. And you can count your good deeds if you like. You can go through empty ritual if you like, but I'm guessing you're bored and apathetic. Kuliom Mobkafi. And every day you do not have enough. Our hope is in Jesus, and it's worth saying again that our eyes be turned to Jesus. Our proclamation this morning and the God's story points to what he's done for us in his life, death, resurrection as our king and our high priest. We have no hope and we have no mercy out of Christ. May we be reminded of that this morning. Oh God, may the Holy Spirit and the work of Jesus Unite and empower us toward obedience to the Father. In Jesus' name, amen.